Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. I am your host, Matt Salis, and welcome to the post-holiday period. It is early January 2020, and I had a great holiday. Really, you know, kind of Norman Rockwell-ish, if you will. I had my parents visit for Christmas. They do that every year. They visit the, the six of us, so there's eight in the house. And then my sister brought her three boys and husband as well. So we had a bunch of people. It's the first time I've had Christmas with my sister in, I don't know, something like 20 years. So it was really great. We got out into the Colorado mountains and enjoyed some snow and had a great day on Christmas Day. So like I said, if Norman Rockwell wanted a new Christmas painting, he might have thought about stopping by our house. It was it was that picturesque. But here I am in early January and I don't feel so hot. I have kind of a gnawing feeling digging into me, and it's something that I have been really exploring the last few days because I want to understand why I feel this way. Now, let me make clear, I'm three years sober. This feeling is not tempting me to drink in any way. I'm way beyond that, thankfully, but I just don't feel good. I don't feel right, and the more I think about it, the more I feel like This is the reason that I drank, and this is the reason that high-functioning alcoholics are who we are. And let me explain that a little bit more. The the gnawing feeling that I have right now, I just feel like I'm not worthy enough. I feel like I am slacking off and lazy and unproductive. And yeah, let me let me tell you straight up, I have not written a lot in the last couple of weeks, which is my primary occupational function right now. Um, I definitely did work over the holidays, just not as much as normal. I took some what I think is well-deserved relaxation time. I watched some college football bowl games. I watched almost no college football during the season, but I definitely sat on the couch and watched some bowl games. Like I said, with family, had a lot of good time, a lot of free time well spent. And now I'm sitting here in early January and I feel like I'm behind. I feel like I've let my readers and listeners and the people that I associate with, I feel like I've let them down. I feel like I've got to produce some wins quickly. And and that, that idea of wins, that idea of accomplishment is really important in this. Sometime, a long time ago, really, I disassociated success and accomplishment from money. And I know that's really hard for a lot of people to do. I would say the majority of people associate the word success with money. And I'm very fortunate to have been able to break that because for me, success is much more about connection, making an impact, touching people's lives, having other people impact my lives. That's just as important. This isn't a one-way street for me. It's that interaction that's meaningful, that's really important to me. And it it manifests itself by way of the ingrained work ethic that I was instilled with throughout my whole life. And this this isn't, I'm not talking specifically or just specifically about my parents. This is another one of those things that for me is society as a whole. As I was growing up, 
There was never a question about whether or not I would go to college. It was happening. And I think that's the way we treat the generation that's growing growing up through the educational system now, too. I have kids, I have four kids that are uh, two in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school. And actually, the middle school, the mantra of the middle school is that college is not an option, it's required, or something like that. I, I messed that up, obviously. But... I, and I get it. I get the idea that we went from 50 years ago when maybe you're lucky if one member of your entire family has been to college to now it's an expectation that we go to college. That's part of this ingrained work ethic that I'm talking about. Everyone is expected to do better than the generation before them. And when we talk about whether or not someone has done better than the generation before them, what do we talk about? We talk about power. We talk about career position was this person a vice president or a president we talk about money so the traditional american terminology for success plays in there but so this ingrained worth work ethic that's very very strong in me it drives me throughout the year it, it makes me work those 70 hour work weeks and do so with pride even when the last 10 or 15 hours of that i am worthless that what i'm producing stinks I am I'm drained emotionally, mentally, and the productivity of those last ten or so hours, I'd be it would be time better spent just zoning out or I don't know, doing yoga or something to refresh and recharge for the next week. But I push and push like a lot of us do. Let me be real clear that I'm not recording this as a way of patting myself on the back. I see this as a real severe negative in me and I see it as the reason for my alcoholism so I'm not bragging about 70 or 80 hour work weeks I think it's a problem and I don't think it's a little problem I think it's the core of the problem for a lot of people like me a lot of high functioning alcoholics and so let me talk specifically about why I keep saying high functioning alcoholics it's a lot of work to continue to produce and to function at even a medium to to potentially high level while consuming alcohol at the rate I was consuming. So to be an alcoholic and to mask that from everybody else and to continue to produce at work and to continue to reach goals and have accomplishments. I've read a ton of books by people that talk about the doctoral degree that they earned while they were wildly consumed by alcoholism. And I think that's a perfect example that work ethic that I talked about that's ingrained in us, that is a necessary piece of masking your alcoholism if you are going to continue to, to function at a high level because you basically are doubling your effort. If it takes, I don't know, if it takes X amount of effort to get a doctoral degree, then it takes X times two to do it while you're drinking your face off. So... I think it's a, a real kind of ep- epidemic problem. I know there are as many reasons that people become alcoholics as there are alcoholics. For a lot of people, for a lot of people that I talk to and interact with, it's it's trauma. It's often childhood trauma. It can be abuse, neglect, physical, mental abuse, just something traumatic that happened in their lives at an early age that, that they weren't walked through properly and that has sat with them. And so they drink to cover that up. That's not the case for me. Honestly, I had kind of a charmed life. I never had any question about whether there'd be food on the table. 
I never had any question about whether there was a roof over my head and love for my parents. That was all always there. But something happened, and you know, if I really think about it, I would I would pin it on kind of right after college when I started my first career job. You know, not just working at the at the Dairy Queen or or working at the record store, but my first real career job. That was the first time that I felt this push, this drive for success, whatever that meant. And at the time, certainly success was just measured by me, by money, because that's what me and all of my friends who went to college together, we said, well, let's get out of here and go earn some money. And so that drive to succeed pushed me and it pushed me to get out of bed in the morning and it pushed me to work those extra long hours and it pushed me. I mean, I remember specifically my very first job out of college being proud of the fact that I was one of the first people to the office in the morning and one of the last people to leave at night. I didn't see the joy in the face of the person who worked eight hours exactly and got a lot of work done and satisfied their customers and made their boss happy, but you know, zoned out of there, zoomed out of there as soon as as soon as five o'clock hit. I, I thought I was the lucky one. I was the the one to be admired. And frankly, I now looking back, I I think I had it largely wrong. So that was the point when I I think alcohol went from, in college, it was heavy consumption, but it was party consumption. It was, let's enjoy the heck out of this weekend. The weekend starts on Thursday and ends on Sunday night, and we're probably going to drink a couple times during the week too, but drinking was all social. It was excessive, no, no doubt. It was bingeful, but it was in the name of fun. Once I started to feel that drive, that underlying maturity, and it's it's funny because I've talked so much about how much I didn't mature, and that's why I kept drinking. Well, my drinking didn't mature, that's for sure, but I did mature in that I felt that need for career success, and the drinking transformed from slowly, you know, slowly enough that I didn't notice it was happening, but it transformed from just enjoyment to this stress relief and this accomplishment. And I think of it kind of as a teeter-totter. On the one side of the teeter-totter, the one that I was trying to stay on was 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 work and success. If I pushed myself and then I got a little little piece of success. Now that could be a raise certainly, but it could just be acknowledgement from a boss, it could be a satisfied customer. It it didn't have to be huge. If the work equated to some kind of an accomplishment reached, I would keep going. But often enough, you just work hard and nothing comes at you that day. You don't you don't get that pat on the back that you were looking for. You don't get more money in the bank. And so that's when the other side of the teeter-totter, the drinking side, I would kind of tip over to that side and say, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to drink. And so there was no happy medium. There was no just satisfaction for the fact that I was alive and my family was healthy and and it was a beautiful day out and all of that kind of stuff that I, I've just been missing, frankly, not my whole life, but certainly since my 20s and beyond. I, I think of it as an accomplishment black hole. A lot of people talk about filling the void in recovery. The, the void, when you take the drinking away, you've got to fill the void that the drinking left behind. That's honestly, that's kind of confused me for a long time. I've written about it. Um, I stand behind the words that I've written, but I've never been a definitive backer of that saying that 
in recovery, to truly recover and not just be a dry drunk, we've got to fill the void. And I'm starting to understand why I feel that way. I think the void is, I don't think it's fillable. I think it's an accomplishment black hole, at least in me, and I think a lot of high-functioning alcoholics. It's endless. And, and the reason I say that is when I do have success, whether it be career success or otherwise, when I do have an accomplishment, I get an attaboy, I get a pat on the back, I get a raise, I, I, I have set a goal and I reach that goal, the feeling I get from it is great, but it doesn't last very long. And depending on how big of an accomplishment it was, possibly the next day, possibly the next hour, I start to feel like, all right, I am lacking. I am not, I don't have enough self-worth if I don't have, if I haven't already figured out what the next goal is and started climbing that mountain to reach it. So the mountain analogy is not a bad one. I mean, it's like every time I summit a peak, the I might stand in in satisfied glory for a few seconds, but immediately I see the next peak behind it, and I start trying to climb that peak as well. And it it's it puts us in a really um, vulnerable position because I can either keep climbing and try to reach that next peak, or I can drink because I know the drinking will make all of that desire for success and accomplishment go away. It, it won't fix it, it won't fix anything. Alcohol never fixes anything. But it will temporarily wipe that thought from my mind and it can be it can be on a spectrum. It can be anything from it's Saturday afternoon, I got all my work for the week done, my kids are taken care of, my bills are paid, the grass is mowed, and I deserve relaxation time. But the only way I can truly relax is to drink because it'll make that gnawing go away. Or it can be the middle of the week and I've got a deadline and I've really got to get something done, but I don't feel like I'm working hard enough. I don't feel like I'm making enough progress and I'm just going to drink and not worry about it. So the drinking can be used to put the goal and the accomplishment to the side in times when I really need to meet that goal or accomplishment. Or it can be used as the only way to settle myself down and allow me to relax in times when I truly should be relaxing. So that's why I describe it not as filling a void, or if you want to use the word void, that's fine, but you need to understand that at least in my case, and I I really believe many others, the void is an unfillable black hole. Now, I don't think that this is an isolated problem that only alcoholics have, and certainly not an isolated problem that only high-functioning alcoholics have. I think it's anyone who uses something to try to fill that accomplishment black hole. And I'm sure the things that popped to your mind as I said that last sentence were people who are overeaters, people who use drugs, people who exercise too much. They're, they're addicted to exercise or they're addicted to sex or pornography is a big one now that gets a lot of conversation. Um, but and, and certainly there are, there are workaholics as well. But I don't think it's just as simple as you have this addiction, what are the things that you're addicted to? I think that we don't realize that this is not an addiction problem. This is a human condition problem, at least the way that we condition humans to behave nowadays with this ingrained work ethic. And what I'm talking about is I see it a lot in wealthy people and rich people as well. They have kind of a money black hole. Sometimes it amazes me 
When I see television commercials, and they have really, really famous TV and movie film stars doing these com- these cheesy commercials for some, like a walk-in bathtub for old people. And I'm like, why? There's no way this person has burned through all their money. They can't possibly need the money. But I think what it is, is I, th- I think people, when, when wealth is their thing, that's the thing that they strive for. That is where their accomplishment black hole leads them. It's unfillable. So just because they've had a successful career, there's generational wealth in their bank. They can they can take care of not only themselves, but several generations behind them will never have to work. They keep doing these cheesy commercials because they need more and more and more and more and more money is the thing. And I don't think it's just the people doing the cheesy commercials. I mean, I, I think there's a lot more examples. I think of John Bolton, who, you know, I'm not going to get political here, I promise, but he's being encouraged to testify in the Donald Trump impeachment trial. And there's a lot of people who say the reason he hasn't testified is because he wants a lucrative job on Fox News again. Well, doesn't this guy have enough money yet? Like, with his career of of service, certainly, but also in front of the TV cameras, he's got to have amassed enough fortune that he doesn't have to go back to Fox News. He could he could testify and do his civic duty, um, be, a, be a true patriotic American, no matter what he says, whether he supports or, or, or comes out against Trump. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to get political. I just don't understand why the motivation is, I don't want to testify because if I do, I'll ruin my shot at getting back on Fox News. It just, it escapes me on one level, but on the other level, when I say his money is my other accomplishment that I'm trying to reach, and he has a black hole for it too, then I understand. And I think one of the most famous examples of what I'm talking about right here, when we talk about accomplishment, and in in this person's case, I don't think it's just money. I think it's a different brand of success, being the best of the best of the best. I think of Tiger Woods, and I think he's a really interesting example because he went through multiple addictions, multiple things that he used to mask the accomplishment black hole. Uh, we all, you know, it's it's well publicized about his, the rough childhood he had, the way he was driven from as young an age as he could hold a golf club by his father to succeed in every possible way in junior tournaments, in college, and then to be the earliest, youngest person to do all these different things on the pro tour. And so I think he very much would be on the one side of the teeter-totter, driving and pushing and working and long hours and never satisfied. And when he would get a little bit of accomplishment, that would be enough. He won this tournament. He won this money. This thing went well. But then every once in a while, if he hit a little dry spell or if just the work was too much, the hours were too much, he'd tip the teeter-totter to the other side and he'd go to one of the, the vices that helped him cope. And we all know that sex was one of them. A little less publicized, but certainly it's out there. He had addiction problems. He had, uh, I don't remember exactly if it was sleeping pills, but it was definitely drug and alcohol. He's got DUIs and or at least one. I guess I shouldn't make that plural, but I think it is plural. But he definitely used things, substances, sex, to to mask the pain from being driven so hard to accomplish and dealing with his accomplishment black hole. So it's, I mean, he's just a famous example, but 
they're everywhere. Anytime you see someone who is still driving and pushing and working to accomplish when they've already accomplished more than anyone else, some people admire that. I don't. I see that as a problem for that person. If you can't find peace and tranquility. Now, listen, I'm not saying that once you make a certain amount of money, you should sit on your laurels. I'm not saying that at all. But shouldn't it transition at some point? If, if you've become uber successful, shouldn't that be time to start giving back? So so how is winning another major golf title going to help Tiger Woods to give back to society? At some point, once you've amassed that wealth, and I'm not, I know he has a foundation, but that's got to become the driving force for us, doesn't it? Making the, the betterment of humanity the thing that we use to try to fill that accomplishment uh, black hole instead of whatever our thing is, whether it's money or, or, or some other definition of success, power, greed, all of these things. So, you know, I, I guess th- that's enough about rich people. I don't want to dwell on that any further. But it's really been eye-opening to look around and see that there are people that are just, they're satisfied with the way things are. And that's something that I don't have and that's got to be a goal for me. The first example I'll give you is my wife. I mean, she, she, her priority is loving on our kids, which is really cool. I love our kids too, but I definitely can let the priorities get out of whack and let work-related items come before um, checking in with my kids and making sure that they're they're happy. And and that's a problem, but not my wife. She, I mean, she puts the kids first in in every imaginable way. But she also is able to be content with where we are, whether that's where we are financially. She's content that she's put in enough work. And she works hard. This is not in any way a criticism. I mean, she works really hard and she accomplishes a ton. And she's got a bunch of different hats she has to wear. And if, you know, she's got to get up early, she does. But if she has the, if she's afforded the luxury of sleeping in, she can do it. And I can't. And that's not like I'm not better than her because, ooh, I get out of bed at six o'clock and get rolling. No, like, I, I used to think that that was a badge of honor, but now I see it as a weakness. If she's got 12 hours to sleep, by God, she can sleep 12 hours. I I haven't slept 12 hours since I was intoxicating myself, and, and then it was super rare, but if the circumstances are right, I could pull it off. But, you know, if I get to seven hours, it's a win for me, but not Sherry. She can she can push further, and I'm, I'm just really jealous of that. Um... I definitely think that there is in some ways a gender piece to this. I mean, uh, I know that there are women and men who, who break out of the molds of being women or men, so I don't mean for this to any way sound sexist, but it definitely seems to me that, you know, I spend a lot of time with my writing, I spend a lot of time also reading, and there's a lot of talk about self care. And it's almost always women who are talking about self-care, women who are writing about it and women who are reading about it and responding and commenting. You don't hear a lot of guys talk about self-care. But I guess I'm realizing self-care is super important. And I'm not just talking about forcing yourself to take a bubble bath. It, it's it's more than that. It's prioritizing yourself. So I don't know what that means for me. I don't know if that means I need to learn how to meditate and and try to be at peace and, and not always be pushing, pushing, pushing. I don't know if I need to focus on sleep, figuring out how to sleep more. I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely working exercise into my routine more and more, and it feels great, and I'm going to continue to do that. 
But, you know, sure enough, what did I do? I made it goal-oriented, right? I'm going to run three miles four times a week, and if I don't accomplish that goal, then I feel bad about myself. That's got to go. That's got to go. The running has to be satisfying in and of itself. It has to feel like I'm taking care of myself and not be just another goal to set, uh, to put in the accomplishment black hole something that I'll never be able to reach. So I've really got to work on that. I, I have this scene from this movie, and I, I it's got to be 20 years ago that I saw this movie, and I can't remember the name of the movie. I can't really even remember the subject matter, but Robert Duvall is one of the lead characters, and there's a scene where he is having lunch, and he's I think he's in a library, in like the back corner of a library, and he's listening to a baseball game on a little transistor radio, and he's eating a bologna sandwich. So I don't want to make his lunch sound glamorous by any means it's not bologna sandwich baseball game on the radio and someone that works for him comes up to him in the library and asks him an important business question and he looks at this guy like he's got three heads and says don't you ever for any reason under any circumstances interrupt my lunch and the reason the scene from that movie is stuck with me for all these years, again, I don't remember the name of the movie. I don't remember the topic of the movie. The only thing I remember is Robert Duvall, bologna sandwich, baseball game. The reason that stuck with me is he, he made the point to this kid, and I can't remember the exact words, obviously. The guy who worked for him, kid, I say, it was a younger guy. He made the point to this kid that me taking a break in the middle of the day is of the utmost importance. It is the top priority. And I'll work all morning and I'll work all afternoon. I'll work into the evening. But at lunchtime, leave me alone. And don't ever forget to leave me alone because it's the most important thing. I don't care if the building we work in is on fire. You're going to leave me alone at lunch. That's the point he made. And I think it stuck with me because I don't have that. I've never had that. I've never been able to prioritize. Again, I guess I'll use the word self-care because I don't know what other word to use. I don't have the ability to prioritize that and and I really need to. So when I think about how this applies to my own kids because I'm in the middle of raising them and trying to teach them the valuable lessons that will set them off on a good path going forward, I think about that ingrained work ethic that happened with me when I was in my adolescent years and has driven me into this accomplishment black hole and I think about how can I make changes to the way I parent to help my kids. And, you know, I've actually been saying this for years, so this is nothing new. I think I'm just understanding why I say it a little bit better now. I'm understanding the negatives of this ingrained work ethic because, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should all be hippies and live off the government and and just try to skate by. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's got to be a balance we have to find a way to, to have accomplishments, to set goals and reach them, to have financial security, but keep it in perspective and not make it the most important thing in our lives. And so my, my advice to my kids has for a long time been find what makes you happy and then try to design your life around that. If you can make money doing the thing that makes you happy, great. Sometimes that's really hard. And sometimes you have to work in a way that is 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 different than the thing that makes you happy, but it shouldn't be the opposite of the thing that makes you happy. It shouldn't be contra to it. It shouldn't 
negate your ability to enjoy the thing that makes you happy. And I know this is really fluffy and kind of theoretical. Um, I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of going through this now. So if I want a concrete example, it's me. I love to write. I love to be involved with people. I love the connection. It just so happens because of what I've been through and where my expertise is that I do these things. I do this writing, this connection with people. I do it in the area of addiction recovery, alcoholism recovery. And I'm very happy with that. But but finding a way to make that turn into enough money to be financially stable is a huge challenge. It's one I'm excited about. It's going it's going the right direction. I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. Like I really feel like I'll get there. And it's not just, oh, I wrote a book. Phew, finally, thankfully, I wrote a book. It's done. It's not that. You don't actually make much money when you write a book. Not necessarily anyway. Um, but it's 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 writing, it's talking, it's speaking, it's being with people, it's running programs that help people, it's running the nonprofit that my wife and I run. It's all these things kind of cobbled together. So rather than just going a thousand miles an hour at a money-making, one single money-making goal and trying to make as much money as possible, which frankly, that was my goal in my 20s, that, that's gone. And now it's, can, can I do this thing that makes me so happy and get all the pieces of the puzzle to fit so that I can, can survive and, and thrive? Now, I don't mean thrive financially. That I want enough. That's all I want. Honestly, but but I want to thrive because I want to learn how to relax. I want to learn how to be at peace with myself. I want to learn how to be content and know that what I am doing and what I am as a human is enough. And so when I, when I talk to my kids, it's important for me anyway to to instill in them that money is necessary and frankly, it's kind of a necessary evil. And if that's your goal there won't be happiness and again going back to <laughs> rich famous people there are just thousands and thousands of examples of rich people who are miserable and rich people who uh, there are tragic consequences to their focus on on their wealth and i don't want that for my kids i want them to find what makes them happy and that's that's a journey in and of itself right i mean we don't know what makes us happy when we're young we might think we know but that's what life's all about, is figuring out why we're here, what our mission from God is. In my case, that's what I believe. What's our destiny? And and then fulfilling that. And oh, by the way, we got to make enough money to survive and we got to have enough good relationships around us to be happy while we do that. So I think the, the biggest takeaway for me is, you know, this podcast is about alcoholism or addiction and recovering from addiction, but I think we've got to look at this in a grander scheme. Alcoholism is is just a symptom, and I'm not the first person to say that. Tons of people say that alcoholism is just a symptom. But what I'm fighting is not alcoholism. I'm fighting the human condition, and I'm in, I'm fighting this ingrained work ethic that's led to this accomplishment black hole. And I I've got. I've got to I've got to stop drinking for sure. That's a that's a piece of it. That's got to go away, and it has. It's I'm I'm almost three years sober now, or I am three years sober now. But th- that's not the end all be all. The the success isn't defined by sobriety. Success is de- defined by easing the tension between me and this accomplishment black hole, and learning to be satisfied and content. 
and that's tough. I'll leave you by saying, because it's January, it's early January, there is a reason that my sobriety date is in January. This is a common, common thing to feel coming off the holidays when we all take that downtime and there's this tension with, yes, I deserve to relax. I enjoyed my relaxation. I had fun with my family or whatever it is you did. But now I feel like I haven't produced in a week or two weeks. And it's got me feeling behind the eight ball from the standpoint of I need to constantly be producing and accomplishing. This wasn't three years ago was not the first time I quit drinking in January. Several of my failed attempts at sobriety happened in January or started anyway in January. And it's because of this this feeling that I think we all get coming off the holidays. So if you're there, I encourage yourself to cut you cut yourself some slack and know that the work is always going to be there and whatever it is you're trying to accomplish or earn, it's always going to be there. And if you can find a way to put it in perspective, maybe that's not just kind of a New Year's resolution kind of a thing, putting your your life and your work in perspective and getting that life work-life balance. It, it might be kind of the saving grace of your life kind of a thing. I, I think it's it's solving the human condition. And I wish you all the best of possible luck in that. Um, I want to leave you with a couple of things. First of all, if you've got some things that are working for you, and, and throw them out there. If it's yoga or it's meditation or exercise or whatever it is that's working for you, I'd love it if you'd leave it in the comments. But then the big one is, you will get the grand prize for today if you leave in the comments what movie Robert Duvall starred in 20, probably 20 some years ago where he eats a bologna sandwich and listens to a, a baseball game on a transistor radio in the back of a library during his lunch. Well, you will win my undying admiration if you can pin down that movie. I'd like to watch it again. And I have no, I know, I know Google can help me, but I'd rather deal with humans. So do any of you humans have any idea for me? Thank you for listening. I hope that this has been at least somewhat helpful. It's certainly been cathartic for me to get it off off my chest. I, I think it's important. I think it's kind of maybe the most important piece of this whole alcoholism puzzle and, again, piece of this human condition kind of puzzle. And I appreciate you listening, and I hope you'll listen again on the next episode of the Intoxicated Podcast. Bye for now.